You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. Well, good morning to you. And we were just reading from Philippians 1 up to 2, 5 here, where we're going to be today. But uh, hello, everybody. And again, say hi to those that are on there and in your comments. Feel free, as I always say, to comment while I'm preaching. I don't see those. So as you see people join and -and so-and-so is on board, give them a wave or however you would shout on this, maybe all caps, whatever. I don't know. But uh, uh, welcome and good morning to you. And sorry that we are not together this morning. This is not to be normal. It is our fifth Sunday, but not to be a normal occurrence. Um, It's pretty well empty here. But again, as we gather, and even in a sense, we gather online, it's a sense of gathering. It's not the same side-by-side, face-to-face. But as we call one another and uh, gather here, it can be a a type of that. So we're thankful that we can do this. Um, Just a couple things that I've been saying. I don't have a lot of new announcements other than to just say thank you for those that have... um, sent in here, and I'm sending them on to Brandon, um, your giving, your tithes, your offerings. Uh, thank you again. It's just, it's a blessing and appreciate the the extra effort it is. Put it on an envelope, send it in, and, and that whole effort. But thank you for doing that. Just really appreciate that. So again, you're welcome to send those here to the church, P.O. Box 428, Leroy, um, or, and you can find that information you want to just send them directly to Brandon, to his house, I won't broadcast his address over Facebook, but you can email me and I'll give you his address or text him and uh, find it in the directory and use that way. But thank you again. Really appreciate that. Uh, Oh, by the way, before my next one, kids, if you're watching, just uh, be watching for our friend behind me and maybe you'll You'll see him. George doesn't want me saying this. You want it kept secret, don't you? But yeah, no, <laughs> he's going to uh, be in various places, but this is going to be fun. Kids, you find him during the time. It's like a where's Waldo, but it's where's the, where's the orange dinosaur. So there it is. So, uh, Also this week, just some announcements. Uh, again, online things. Uh, we would love to have you take advantage of this as the weeks grow long. We want to see your face. It's okay, however you're doing, and uh, do that. There's two ways during the week. Hannah is hosting a tea time Zoom meeting on uh, Tuesdays at 3 o'clock, and then Wednesdays at 6 o'clock, uh, we're having a prayer fellowship meeting. If you join up and join in, you don't have to pray. I go around and see who wants to pray. If you don't, you just want to see people and keep your microphone off, but check in with everybody. We'd love to have you. Uh, for that. We've begun kind of listening to a new book by John Piper called Coronavirus and Christ. And I don't know how many chapters there are. Hopefully we won't get through the whole thing before we gather together again. But um, anyway, I think that's a, a really helpful book to be listening to and encouraged with and then to just pray together and see everybody. So take advantage of that. Just would encourage you to do that. Let me know um, if you're interested, if you need the links and that sort of thing. I try to send them out on an email on Wednesdays. Um, And as well, just to mention uh, any prayer requests that you might have. If you have a prayer request, feel free to just jot me an email and say, hey, could, could the prayer group, when you guys meet to pray, could you pray for this? And we will try to remember to do that and um, pray for those needs. So you can 
send that to me as well. Feel free to do that. I can't really ask anybody else if they got any announcements, but uh, I think we're, we're good on that. Is everything, Harrison, everything going okay? And All right, we're all good. Good. Good to check before we keep going here. So, well, I um, encourage you to find a, find a scripture in your home. Maybe you're sitting there uh, with a Bible. Kids, find a piece of paper to do some, maybe some drawing on if your parents are okay with that. Parents, if you're doing some drawing, that's great. Send them in. Show me those. You can stay anonymous. But uh, turn in the Bible to Philippians 2. Uh, verse 5. We'll start at verse 5. I'm going to read from there. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. This is, excuse me, ground that we've already covered uh, last week. We're just going to cover it a little differently this week. Um, so you can be turning there while you're doing that. I've got four pictures. Yay. Thank you, kids, to show you while you're getting to that place. One comes, was sent in from Micah Scavel. And this is what Micah drew. He's got, uh, he is not here. He is risen as we celebrated Easter Sunday last weekend. And the angels and it looks like the guards there in an empty tomb. He's not there. And guess where he is? Here's Micah. And he is seated on the throne. He's exalted. Thank you, Micah. That's wonderful. And then Malachi drew Malachi. I don't know. I hope you can see the detail of this picture is that coming up in the screen there, George? Is that pretty close? Um, here's the Lord Jesus on his throne, exalted. And I don't know if you can see, I mean, this is the globe and the earth here. And you've got just every knee, as we talked about last week, every knee is bowed. So pretty, pretty neat. Thank you, Malachi. I got one from Lincoln. Lincoln, thank you for sending this in. I was so encouraged. Yay, it's... Uh, it's a bit like, you know, it's that feeling of familiarity when, when somebody, when they send in, you know, stuff like this, like, oh, yeah, we, we did this together. And so Lincoln thinks, and he's got his, his picture called the, um, the death has been beaten. Death has been defeated by Jesus Christ, risen from the dead. So Lincoln, thank you for that. We're following a, a theme here, and that's good. We got a theme. One more. This is from my daughter, Madeline. He is risen. So beautiful drawing. Thanks, Madeline. Got the three crosses in the tomb there. He is risen. So thank you for all that are, that are sending those in. And uh, that's just wonderful. Appreciate that. Well, hopefully by now you come to Philippians 2, 5 through 11. As we work through this section again, and let's, let's then read God's Word, and then I want to pray and pray for us as a church and then pray about our time in the Word together. So Philippians 2, verse 5. Have this mind, Paul says, among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men, And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Let me pray again. 
Father, we just come to you this morning. Lord, right now in communion with you because of Christ, because of what Paul speaks about here, because of your humility and your dying and your rising, that you intercede for us and you are before us. And we can even pray to you. It's why we pray in Jesus' name, because in that name we have access to the Father, to the Holy Trinity, to worship you. Thank you for what you've done. Lord, I pray for those tuning in this morning that are here on Facebook Live, those that may watch later on YouTube, those that may listen to this on a podcast. Father, this is not ideal. We're not meeting together in person, and yet it's an attempt to to be together in a way. And Lord, we thank you that you use weak attempts and you use the weakness for your glory. So I pray, Lord, and we can pray boldly that your glory would be magnified in our time together this morning. Just today, this time in your word, that you would be exalted. Lord, guide my words to to speak with clarity and conviction. Father, guide the hearers to grow in a love for you who Jesus are fully God and fully man in one person. Lord, give us understanding of this as best we can, of this mystery. Um, And Lord, uh, again, I just ask for your Holy Spirit to work through the the transmission lines of this this feed, uh, again, for the purposes to bring us closer to Christ, to understand who you are, and then to live it out in our week. And we just pray this in your name. Amen. Well, today we're doing something we don't typically do here. This is a a bit more of a topical type sermon, but based kind of towards back, based in Philippians 2, want to take just one more week on this, these sections that we've been in for the last couple weeks here and look at them again as, as I've only briefly mentioned, we see Jesus here being fully a man and being fully God and yet in one person. He's born in human likeness and yet we saw the deity of Christ uh, and, and even last week that every knee should bow to him. So I want to use these uh, this passage, verses 6 through 11, kind of as a, a launching pad, a template to look at what are called, when we look at the person of Christ, what are called these two natures of Christ. That is that in one person of Jesus Christ resides both the nature of man and the nature of God. And right away, questions may arise. How can these two natures exist in one person? Are they, are they mixed together, kind of this melding together of natures? Or was Jesus a man one day and then maybe at another point in the day or another day, then he's God, he kind of goes back and forth, he kind of switches. Maybe he just appears to be a man. Maybe, is this even important to take time to think about or study? I mean, shouldn't we leave this to the theologians? Leave it to the scholars. Let them figure this out. This is too deep for us. And, and I agree, it is mysterious. And there's a call. We can get bogged down into details, and we might be afraid. Man, too many details. Let's just keep it simple. It's just Jesus. It's all we need. Well, I think it's worth noting that the debate formed around who is Christ, who is this person of Christ, how is he 
God? How is he man? And it really formed the debate of of the first centuries of Christendom. And, And here's why I think it's important for our study today, why it's worth taking time to look at this. One statement, and I'll say it at the end as well. Our salvation is directly tied, inextricably tied. That means that's a big word to say it's impossible to separate. So our salvation is directly and inextricably tied to who Jesus is as God and man. It's tied, our salvation is tied to Jesus as God and man. If we get this question wrong, I think we get salvation wrong. It's a very important question, a very important thing to think on. And so we want to do that today. So we want to first think about Jesus' human nature in these, this first part of Philippians. Then we'll look at his deity, his, his uh, divine nature, if you will. So look first back in Philippians 2. Look at verses 6 through 8 again. I'll just read them as a, as a grouping here as we think about his humanity. So this is Jesus who, though he was in the form of God, we talked about that preexistence of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Having just read these verses, I I want you to think back to even the beginning, to Genesis chapters 1 through 3. Those six days of creation culminating with that creation of man, Adam, and Eve. In Genesis 1.26, God says this, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and then basically let them have dominion over all things. I'm, I'm paraphrasing the last part of it. Let us make man in our image in our, after our likeness, But what happens by Genesis 3? Remember that? Genesis 3, that image is already tarnished. Man is tempted by Satan to be like God. You know, you can be like God and no good and evil if you eat from this one forbidden tree. And so they do. They eat the fruit from this forbidden tree that God said, don't eat from that. You can have everything else, but not that one. And that's where they eat, and it has plunged man into sin and death from that point till today. And we see that likeness and that image being tarnished. Well, fast forward then to Paul's words here, and I think hopefully you see a connection between the first Adam in Genesis 1 through 3, and now Jesus referred to as the second Adam, Jesus Christ. What did he do? We see it in here. He took on human form. He was made a servant. He was born in the likeness of men. And then what? What what does Paul say is significant about him? He was obedient. Obedient, unlike Adam, right? Adam had, don't, just don't eat from this. Adam ate. He was disobedient. Jesus is fully obedient. And how far? Even to death on a cross. There's a contrast here. The first Adam, made in the likeness of God, faced temptation in the garden and failed, having a desire to be like God. Now think of this. Here's Jesus. God himself humbles himself, being made in the likeness of men. Do you see the humility there? Facing temptation. He did, yes, didn't he? 
He did not fail. He went to die on a cross, then obedient to the point of death on a cross for those in rebellion like you and I. Romans 5, 18 through 19 says it this way. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, that's talking about Adam in Genesis 3, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So with that background here and, and seeing in that, again, again, the sermon is less exegetical. That's what we've done the last couple of weeks, kind of looking at the context. What is Paul trying to say? And, and really this example of Christ as the humble one. But we're kind of looking back in here for, there's some also theological themes within here of Jesus' humanity and his deity. And so we can ask then, why is it important that we affirm this human nature of Jesus. Why is it important? And I'm, I'm relying here on, on a theologian, Wayne, Wayne Grudem. Some of you graduates uh, have a, his thicker book called Systematic Theology. He offers up seven reasons, and I won't, I won't read the whole book to you. Uh, but within this book, he's got seven reasons um, of why it's important we affirm the human nature of Jesus. So I'll go through them relatively quickly, if you're a note taker and you don't get some down emailing me or whatever, say, hey, what was that? I I missed that. Or you can replay this video, whatever. But number one reason, why is it important? It's for representative obedience. Jesus became a human to represent us in obedience. No human has been born free from sin except Jesus who came in the flesh to fully obey God when we could not. He was able to fully obey. He represented us in fully obeying what God had for him to do. John Owen says this, It belongs unto this great mystery and is a fruit of divine wisdom that our deliverance should be wrought in and by the same nature wherein and whereby we were ruined. You hear what he's saying? Our deliverance is wrought in by the same nature. By the nature we were ruined, Christ takes on that nature to deliver us. Number two, Jesus came to be a human, to be a substitute sacrifice. Hebrews 2, 14 through 17, a little longer section. You can maybe just write these references down if you'd like to. Hebrews 2, 14 says, Since therefore the children share in flesh and blood, he himself, Jesus, likewise partook of the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil. And deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. Therefore, he, he, Jesus, had to be made like his brothers in every respect. You hear the humanity there? So that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. Jesus took on our flesh and blood, made like us in every respect, so that he might be a sacrifice in our place, satisfying God's wrath on himself. Whereas we now are covered in the blood of Christ and and have his righteousness. He was a substitute. 
Number three, to be the one mediator between God and men. Now, this goes both ways. We'll, we'll uh, come back to it again when we talk about his deity, but he's a mediator. First Timothy 2.5 says, For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. And I think, again, this speaks both to Jesus' humanity and his deity and his role as the merciful and faithful high priest. He's a mediator. Fully man, and then we'll see, fully God. Number four, the human nature of, why is this important? To fulfill God's original purpose for man to rule over creation. You thought about this? Man's original mandate from Genesis 1.28 was, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And here I'm going to quote from Grudem. He says this, But man did not fulfill that purpose, for he instead fell into sin. And he goes on to say, Then when Jesus came as a man, he was able to obey God and thereby have the right to rule over creation as a man, thus fulfilling God's original purpose in putting man on the earth. See, all we have is in Christ. It's in Christ. And I think we see that we see that dominion in what Paul's going to talk about and what we looked at last week, verses nine through eleven. All right, number five. Again, why why affirm the human nature to be our example and pattern in life? To be our example and pattern in life. That's what we're seeing here in Philippians. That's I think Paul's purpose, even though there's deep teaching also within this. Paul's calling the Philippians, have the mind of Christ. You see what he did? You see his humility? Have that mind. Imitate Christ. Number six is to be a pattern, uh, to be the pattern for our redeemed bodies. Why do we affirm his human nature? He's a pattern for our redeemed bodies. Listen to 1 Corinthians 15. I'll read verses 20 through 23. 1 Corinthians 15, 20 through 23. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. For as by a man came death, well, now we're familiar, right? That's Adam language here. By a man has come also the resurrection of the dead. For as in Adam all die, so also in Christ shall all be made alive, but each in his own order. Christ the first fruits, then it is coming those who belong to Christ. And Grudem here, he speaks of the first fruits as this, and I think this works in our agricultural uh, context here where we're at in Minnesota, Iowa. Uh, the first fruits here speaks of it as an agricultural metaphor that likens Christ to the first sample of the harvest, showing what the other fruit from that harvest would be like. That makes sense? Christ, the first fruits. This is the harvest raised from the dead. This is what all the other fruit's going to look like. Christ, the first fruit. He's a pattern for our redeemed bodies. And number seven, then, kind of similar to uh, uh, mediator or even sacri- substitute sacrifice, number seven, to sympathize as high priest. Now, I say similar. Listen, listen to this from Hebrews 4. Not only is Christ our high priest, our Lord, our Savior. Listen to how he knows us. Hebrews 4, 14 through 15 says, Since then we have a great high priest, yes, we do, 
who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. Even here, why can we hold fast our confession? Because we have a great high priest. We have Jesus. Verse 15, Hebrews 4 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Jesus, as fully man, he knows what we are. He knows the temptation. And yet, he's our conquering high priest. Arrhenius, he's a theologian from the later 2nd century, has said this. And I want to read it to you, and hopefully it it translates over the airwaves here. But uh, he says this, and I think it's helpful to think about Jesus Christ. He says, Jesus Christ, the Word of God, who from his own infinite love was made what we are, that he might make us what he is. That is, by the restoration of the image of God in us. Jesus made what we are, taking on that human flesh, that he might make us what he is. That's love to redeem sinners, that's grace. And that's what Jesus has done for us that would believe, repent of sins, and trust in him. Now, let's transition then to the second half of Philippians 2, verses 9 through 11, where we just were last week. Let me read it again, and then I want to go with you to the book of Isaiah. So let me read Philippians 2, 9 through 11. Again, to refresh us. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. From Christ's humiliation to his exaltation, again, I think we see here the complete deity of Jesus on display. He's Lord of all. Come with me back to the book of Isaiah. I do want you to turn here. We've gone through, I've listed quite a few scriptures already, but, but look here at Isaiah um, chapter 45, verse 23 in particular. So I'll give you a minute to find Isaiah 45, 23. Isaiah 45, 23, as you get there, I, I think, I hope you're going to hear something familiar to where we've been in Philippians. Now, Isaiah's words here at this point, they're coming to a people, people who have sinned grievously against their Lord, and they've been placed in exile in Babylon. And God is talking about a, a ruler named Cyrus who's going who's gonna to come. God's even going to use a, a, a foreign ruler. Um, but here in this last part of Isaiah 45, God, uh, where is it here? It's in the last part of verse 18. God says, I am the Lord and there is no other. And then a call goes out, really, verse 22, to all the earth, turn to God, be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. Do you hear the, there's a, there's a stamp here. Why? Turn and be saved. Because there's no, no other idol is a God. They're not, they're a false God. We have one God. He says, turn to me and be saved. I am God and there is no other. Now listen to verse 23 through the end. This is still God. By myself I have sworn, 
from my mouth has gone out in righteousness a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, every tongue shall swear allegiance, or you could say confess allegiance. Only in the Lord, that's capital L-O-R-D, Yahweh, it shall be said of me our righteousness and strength. To him shall come and be ashamed all who were incensed against him. In the Lord, all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory. Did you catch that? In this passage, verse 23, who's going to bow and confess allegiance to the Lord? It's what we saw in Philippians, every knee. And who's doing the talking? Well, here, God the Lord. So do you see the connection as you head back to Philippians 2, the connection of Jesus as being fully God by Paul's use of the language here, I think, of Isaiah 45, and then in this verses 10 through 11, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and earth and, and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. One writer comments here, his name is, uh, I think it's Moises Silva, he says here that Paul's writing patently expresses his own conviction that the worship of Jesus Christ does not compromise Israel's monotheistic faith. That means Israel, and we see in Deuteronomy 6, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So if we worship Jesus and God, are we worshiping two gods? No, this this this. Well, here is making that he's saying it doesn't compromise that mono one theistic faith. On the contrary, Jesus Christ, the righteous Savior, bears the name of the one Lord Yahweh to the glory of God the Father. Jesus is fully God. So again, then why is it important? Why is it important we affirm Jesus is fully God, the Lord? And again, Grudem's helpful. He's got four answers. I added a fifth on here. Um, Maybe not as as long as the other answers were. But here's why is this important, that we affirm Jesus both fully human and fully God. Number one, uh, Grudem alludes to this. I just made it number one. It's simply, here's number one, it's just simply the testimony of Scripture. It's just what the Scriptures say that he is all over the place. He fulfills the Scriptures. They testify to his deity. We've seen it here in Philippians. John, his whole reason for writing the gospel of John in in chapter 20, verse 31. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, again, making making Jesus equal with God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. You see who he is? He's God. He's worthy of worship. Life is found in him. It's the testimony of Scripture. Number two. This is more kind of a, maybe a conclusion statement, but number two, Grudem says this, only someone who is infinite God could bear the full penalty for all the sins of all those who would believe in him. Any finite creature would have been incapable of bearing that penalty. Imagine the weight of the penalty of sin. We just looked at that last week and thinking of the horror and well, the last two weeks, right? The horror of that cross, the physical pain, and then also the spiritual, the, the, the curse upon that tree, the wrath of God poured out. And yet Jesus himself, I believe it's Peter says, bore our sins in his body on the tree. Only our infinite God 
could bear that weight. No mere human could bear the weight of that sin. Number three, why is it important we affirm Jesus fully God? Number three, because salvation is from the Lord. That's where salvation comes from. Two places, Psalm 68, 20. Our God is a God of salvation. And to God, the Lord, belong deliverances from death. Do they belong to who? To the Lord. Who's the Lord? Jesus Christ is Lord, heaven and earth, and he delivers from death. Or Acts 4.12, and there is salvation in no one else. There is no human that can save. No pastor, you as well, watching this, we can't save our family. We can't save the world. It's Christ alone, God alone. Acts 4.12, there's salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It's that name of Jesus that every knee is going to bow to. Number four. Only someone who is truly and fully God could be the one mediator between God and man, both to bring us back to God and also to reveal God most fully to us. And again, we're back at 1 Timothy 2.5. For there is one God. We're not saying there's multiple gods. There's one God and three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But there's one God, and there's one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, that mediatorial role having the nature of God, having the nature of man. And number five, I just added this on here. I don't think Gruden would disagree with this, and maybe it's within his other answers here, but the sacrifice for sin must be pure and unblemished, having no sin, which is who? That's God alone. 2 Corinthians 5.21, maybe a familiar verse. For our sake, he, that is God, made him, Christ, to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. We had no righteous. No man is righteous to pass that on. God is righteous. God is pure and unblemished and holy without sin. He is the perfect sacrifice, the Lamb of God. To sum it up, John eleven twenty five. 25, Jesus says there, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. You're familiar with that phrase? It's one of those I am phrases, literally, I, I am, meaning Yahweh, I am, his deity, he is the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live. The giver and sustainer of all life, Jesus, God in the flesh has come that we might not die, but live. Now, I'm not left with a lot of time, so I want to say in brief what could be probably covered in a whole other, I don't know, teaching time, I guess, and that is the historical challenges to what we've been discussing. There's a history to this debate within the church, and I'm only touching on it just in the briefest of sense, but but even going back to Jesus' day, right? Jesus, even the Jews of his day, they wanted to stone him. Why? Because he was being he though you know being a man was making himself God. He was saying, uh, "I and the Father are one." And so, even in Jesus' day, the Jews are I mean they're ready to stone him for this. And I believe I mean what led him towards the cross. But the controversy, the challenge to his deity, 
It didn't stop there, but it continued on through the centuries. Various heresies popped up and always with kind of the last, uh, with, with an ism attached to them. I mean, you got, there's Ebionism, there's Arianism, uh, the modern day Jehovah Witness, there's Docetism and, and ism and ism and ism and down the line. Even the challenge of defending who Jesus is continues to this very day. But as the heresies arose through those centuries, the beginning centuries, uh, various councils were convened to counteract the false teaching, to say we, we need to be straight about who Jesus is and kind of these affirmations and denial. We deny he's not, it's not like this, it's like this, and to understand who he is. Well, out of one such council, the Council of Chalcedon in 451 A.D., was written this Creed of Chalcedon. And to this day, we benefit from what was written down. If you look at our statement of faith, it's on our website. You can find it through the links and look on that. Even, even uh, parts of that are derived and we, we gain from this particular creed, this council. Again, it's not God's holy word. We have his scripture, but it's a way to condense and say, here's what we see. This is who Jesus is. So let me read it to you. Not terribly long, but let me read it to you um, to hear this called the the creed or the symbol of Chalcedon. It says, We then, following the Holy Fathers, all with one consent, teach men to confess one and the same Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, the same perfect in Godhead and also perfect in manhood, truly God and truly man, of a reasonable soul and body, consubstantial with the Father according to the Godhead, and consubstantial with us according to the manhood, in all things like unto us without sin. Begotten before all ages according to the Godhead, and in these latter days for us and for our salvation, born of the Virgin Mary, the mother of God, according to the manhood. One and the same Christ, Son, Lord, only begotten, to be acknowledged in two natures, inconfusedly, unchangeably, indivisibly, inseparably, the distinction of natures being by no means taken away by the union, but rather the property of each nature being preserved and concurring in one person and one subsistence, not parted or divided into two persons, but one and the Son and only begotten, God the Word, the Lord Jesus Christ, as the prophets from the beginning have declared concerning him, and the Lord Jesus Christ himself has taught us, and the creed of the Holy Fathers has handed down to us. There's a lot in there, and you can say, wow, that that maybe at points that helps, and at points it it is a mysterious. Wayne Grudem talks about how can how can Jesus, who was asleep in the in the boat with the disciples, as a man sleeping, needing rest, also beholding the universe together at the same time. And he says, we must answer, yes, that's, that's this. And, and we, we seek to go maybe to understand beyond that, and we go, we, we can't. But what the Creed of Chalcedon is trying to do is saying, okay, here's, we agree on these things about Jesus, fully, truly God, fully, truly man, and so forth. Kind of an, an amazing thought to think of who it is we worship. When we say we worship Jesus, oh my, 
who we worship. So why must we hold to both the deity of Christ as well as his humanity? I've kind of summed it up in maybe three statements. One, it's just simply, it's what scripture tells us. We hold to God's word. I mean, that's kind of where we start. In any of these doctrines that we hold to, what does scripture say? And scripture clearly shows us Jesus as being fully human. He ate, he slept, uh, all things make a human person. People could touch him, children sat on his lap, those sorts of things. And he's also fully God. Number two, that Christ is our mediator before God. We hold on to the one who, who died in our place, our representative, and also to the one that sits at God's right hand. That's the same person. And then number three, Christ is our sure salvation. He's the sure salvation. He's the only name that saves. From God, our deliverance comes, and our deliverance is Christ. One verse that we might close on brings it all together, I think, in, in, in a way. It's 2 Corinthians 8, 9, and it says this. 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now Lord hopefully has a, we're thinking, okay, that's got a little different help to us as we've looked at this. For, for you know that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. What grace the Lord has given to us that he might bring us to God, humbling himself, being in the form of God, humbling himself, obeying to the point of death and exalted as Lord over all. So we can say, my salvation, your salvation is directly and inextricably tied to who Jesus is fully God and fully man. Your salvation and hope, my salvation and hope, is not to be tied up in, in especially in these days of coronavirus and the, the latest news, our salvation and hope is not tied into us getting back to work. Much as we want that, your hope, is, is, your hope and salvation is not tied into a bustling economy. We want the economy to go well. That's a good thing. Our salvation and hope is not tied to that. You might say your, your pleasure is not tied to that. It's not found, our hope, our salvation, it's not found in your spouse or maybe if you're not married and getting married. It's not found in raising well-behaved kids or even getting back to normal life. Man, if we could just get back to normal life. That's not where our hope and salvation is, Bethany Bible. It's not. It's found in Jesus, who is both God and man in one person, He is our only hope of salvation and hope for eternity. He lives forever. He knows where we're at. He knows our temptations, our weaknesses. He's overcome. He mediates on our behalf, and he lives forever. May we bow our knees and worship this great Savior. Pray with me, would you? So, Lord having studied this today, and we, we, we could look at this, perhaps, maybe some, oh, what a, what a dry run of theology, person of Christ. Oh, Father, I pray that our hearts would, would see you as anything but dry and see the, the very, the gloriousness of you, Jesus, as God, 
not counting equality with God a thing to be grasped, but making yourself nothing, taking on the form of a human in likeness of man, that you might win us back to yourself, that you might bring us back and make us who you are, bring us into your presence. Father, the depths of what we've just touched on are, they're infinite to understand this mystery. Lord, help us to understand what we can. And Lord, I just pray for those tuning in, listening to this, and I pray for in my own heart that our salvation and our hope is not inextricably or directly tied to the condition of our country or this world. We have a much stronger Savior. We have a much greater hope than anything of this, what this world offers. And I pray, Lord, our salvation is tied to you, Jesus Christ. We bow before you. We exalt your name as the name above all names. To the glory of God the Father, we pray. Amen. You've been listening to Bethany Radio, a production of Bethany Bible Church in Leroy, Minnesota.